On February 8th this year, God started to show up at Asbury University. It used to be called Asbury College, and it's a different place from Asbury Seminary. This is the place of Hughes, Hughes Auditorium, and it's the same place that Jesus showed up in revival in 1970, and it's the same place that Jesus showed up in revival in 1908. So this is getting to be a pretty famous place as far as revivals are concerned. And let me just read for you what happened in the 1970 revival, uh, just to give you a flavor. This is from my next book, Glory Through Time, Volume 2. And it's the way that I started the book, this description. Dennis Kinlaw, then president of the school, had showed up late returning from a trip, at first skeptical, then frightened because he knew that he would be held responsible for whatever might happen. Kinlaw was soon melted by the presence of God. When a newspaper reporter asked for comment, he explained it this way, well, you may not understand this, but the only way I know how to account for this is that last Tuesday morning, about 20 of 11, the Lord Jesus walked into Hughes Auditorium, and he's been there ever since, and you've got the whole community paying tribute to his presence. So, (laughs) it was 185 hours of chapel service, you know, that was intended at first to be less than an hour. But the presence of Jesus, let me just say, that from this Asbury experience, we can immediately, quickly see three things, maybe four, about revival and learn from this. Why can't we learn from the past, okay? First of all, the key of revival is the presence of the King, Jesus. And that is the main thing that makes it revival. If Jesus isn't present, then it's not revival. It's revival because Jesus has suddenly come there. We know that God is omnipresent, and that's true, but there are these times when God just decides to somehow send the presence of the Lord, and and that manifests in a place, and then we call that revival. So presence would be the key element that makes it revival. And then secondly, Revivals are perennial. In other words, they come, then they go, and then they come back like a perennial flower, you know, um, or like a tide. I like to call it revival tides. The tide goes out, but then it comes back in, and then it goes out, and then it comes back in, and then it goes out again, and then it comes back in again, and that's exactly what we've seen in Hughes Auditorium at Asbury University. The revivals are perennial, and we've we've found that to be true. I've written about that in my next book, um, that they, they are like tides that come in and then go out and then come in again. All right. The third thing about this is that revivals and the presence of the Lord are a contagious thing. Uh, When Jesus comes, he does something in people so that the presence manifests 
in other places where those people go. Or he just manifests, not just in one place, but in many places. And that makes it even not a revival, but a great awakening. And, and so revivals can become great awakenings. Uh, and they spread out city to city, uh, country to country. Um, and, and the revivals that have happened have spread more and more. In other words, each revival uh, tends to be bigger than the last, uh, more outspread uh, than the last. So each tide gets larger, and um, that's really something that we're going to, I believe, see in the coming days. So it's a, the presence, it's perennial, and it's contagious. And, and the fourth thing would be that it's prophesied in Scripture. Uh, in other words, revival is something that's not called revival in Scripture. But let me read to you where this is coming from in the promises of God. This is from uh, the Apostle Peter uh, after the healing at the Gate Beautiful, which is what happened the next after the day of Pentecost. Okay, this would be the next manifestation of the power of of the new covenant power that Jesus brought, okay? And so after uh, the, um, uh, the healing, uh, Peter needed to explain what was happening. And this is the way he explained it. He said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Um, my NIV doesn't use the word presence, but it's in the Greek. So don't get me started on the liberties that translators have in leaving out words. The main thing about the, the, the times of refreshing is that they're full of the presence of the Lord, you know, and yet they've left that word out. And I just can't believe it. But anyway, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Okay, so we have the kingdom of God here. This is the description of the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom is. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord with Jesus coming back at the end of the age and restoring all things. If we could just get that description, that's why Jesus came. That's why he's coming again. Times of refreshing leading to the restoration, the restoration of all things. All right, so that's a kingdom definition, shall we say. But yet, what I've discovered is that even though God has done these times of refreshing and he's manifested his presence and there have been many seasons of revival repeatedly going in, going out, going in, going out, tides of refreshing, times of refreshing, perennial seasons of revival, the Christians, the Christian church has chosen to forget all of them. About all we re really are aware of in the church today is maybe a little bit about Azusa Street and maybe a little bit about the Welsh Revival. And maybe some people have studied Count Zinzendorf, 
but very few people have any, any idea of the times of refreshing that have come from the presence of the Lord. It's as though, I don't know, we're embarrassed about them or we don't think this is real Christianity. And so we have forgotten them. And I believe that's why God has appointed me to dredge these memories up, to, to re recount these stories and to tie them into a series of uh, narratives about kingdom advance, which is what I've done in the, the two-book series, Glory Through Time. But it's caused me to ask, why on earth have Christians chosen to forget all of these encounters with God and the, the outpourings of the Holy Spirit over the past many centuries? And the reason, I believe, um, has to do with our matrix. Okay, we all have a matrix called a worldview, and it, it tells us what's normal in life. So uh, our worldview defines what's normal, and things that are judged abnormal are called anomalies, and, and they're thought of as being unimportant. That's just an, an anomaly. And so we, we allow it to be forgotten because it's not a part of our worldview. We've constructed our worldview around something else. And the something else has been the church. Okay, the, 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 the idea of normal Christianity is it's a church and it's a religion. The, the church is designed to conduct Sunday morning religious services. And that's what it's for. It's not the kingdom, uh, which is for restoring all things. You see, it's two different ideas of what Christianity is. And the, the, the changeover happened in the fourth century with the emperor Constantine. So I have traced this back to when an infection entered the church and the church switched its matrix, its worldview, from a kingdom worldview with all the things of the new covenant into a church worldview governed by the clergy who are in control of the church. And this happened because Constantine needed a religion to unite his empire. The, the empire was divided at that time. Constantine came along. He had a, a kind of a, 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 a bigger idea uh, that Christianity and Jesus would help him unite the empire. And then he would, instead of persecuting Christians, he would bless the Christians in the church. In fact, um, the church went from rags to riches and... Uh, it seemed like everybody won out of this arrangement. You know, the, the emperor gave his blessing to the church and the church gave unity to the Roman Empire and everybody was happy. The only problem is, it's not what God decreed. <laughs> Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, you'll remember, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And uh, the prophet Daniel 
chapter 2, verse 44, very clearly says that the kingdom of Jesus is going to crush the kingdoms of this world, not get cozy with them. And getting cozy with them is what happened between the Roman church and the emperor at that time, the 4th century, on into the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, you know, you go right on. And, and this new paradigm, which is we're the one true religion, we're the one true church, this becomes important, the kingdom of God, not so much. And so the church almost becomes the kingdom of God rather than the group of people who are seeking first the kingdom of God. And the way the kingdom was redefined, are you with me? The, king, the way the kingdom was redefined made the church extremely wealthy and extremely political. Uh, really, it was worldly power, worldly power. Uh, gained control of the church, and we know that Satan uses that to corrupt people, and that's exactly what happened. So we're talking about some serious problems here going into the Middle Ages, and Jesus had to rescue the church, and the way he rescued it was by restoring the times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So we have, ever since then, had a conflict of matrices. We've got a lot of people of the old school who still just think of Christianity as a religion, and it's the church, and it's controlled by the clergy, and, and the purpose is to have Sunday morning services. And we're the one true religion. But then a lot, a lot of people over the last 500 years have discovered, no, Jesus is king. And he brings his kingdom through these seasons of revival and he re-advances the kingdom of God through times of refreshing. And that's what the kingdom of God is. And that's the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what we're supposed to be preaching. <laughs> and so it's just a different matrix. It's a different way of thinking. What is normal Christianity? And what, we're, what I'm saying is, Normal Christianity is what happens in revivals. And, and the church, if we're not in revival, we have a great privilege of praying for the next revival. But you have to have a kingdom matrix if you're even interested in doing that. And that's the problem. It's we have the wrong matrix, the wrong set of ideas of what real Christianity is. So I'm challenging you to consider this issue and how much of Constantine's ideas are still with us today. Um, would you meditate on that? Now let me tell you, uh, before I quit here, uh, an update on my book. My book, um, it's really interesting because as I was um, producing the very last editorial revision. You know, the book, a book has to go through all these editorial revisions. And I was getting ready to uh, uh, send in my last uh, edition of, of, of this second book. Um, that's when I heard about Asbury. 
And so it's it's almost like the timing is <laughs> it's just amazing. God is amazing to me. Um, I've been working on this book for 36 years, and now I'm finishing. I'm finished with it, and revival starts to break out. Um, I, I don't know. It's just astonishing to me. God is a master of timing. And, um, and so I just want to say that um, even though I get a little bit antsy, and, and I was thinking maybe this book would be out by Christmas, but now it's looking more like Easter, but God is in charge. And so um, I'm just saying probably Easter, or we'll see, but I'm trusting God for it. And I hope you will look forward to this, this book coming out, The, um, the Hidden Legacy of Transformational Revivals.